1: To get started, visit plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. You're listening to the Quickbook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book.
2: Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from Quickbook Reviews. How are you all? Well, I've learned something new today. I have been looking for ages for a nice tracksuit. And every time I go in online to the tracksuit sportswear category, it is all literally stuff I would wear to work out. This might sound really obvious, but I remember a time when I would go online and click um, tracksuit and and there would be something comfy there. Oh, no, there's this whole new category now, it seems loungewear. So you're wearing a tracksuit, but not actually wanting to do any exercise. That, that's me. That's that's where I'm at. So I'm clicking on the old loungewear now. Good and proper. Did did is, did you know about this? Is this something I have missed? I am sure it never used to be like that. I'm sure I used to be able to click on tracksuit and I, and I would just have something that I don't have to wear to compete, complete the London marathon in. Actually, something comfortable. Anyway, it's a whole new thing. When I've heard people talk about loungewear, I thought they meant pyjamas, but this seems it's a whole new category. It's, I don't know, pyjama suits? It's like a, a combination of something comfortable like pyjamas and tracksuits. I think I may be over analysing this too much. I think I need to calm down. But anyway, there we go. Lounge suits, who knew? Certainly not me. I have some great books to talk to you about, some different ones as well. Get me. We? We've got five really good books. Um, Shall I tell you what they are? I will in a minute. Hold your horses, Philippa. Then uh, we've got a great author interview, which is very exciting. And there's a book box on uh, an opening, which I just can't wait to do. So that's going to be good. There's quite a lot to cover today. So let me tell you about the books um, and we'll take it from there. So the first book is called The Smallest Man by Francis Quinn. Uh, then we've got Tell Me the Truth About Life, which is a collection of poems curated by Keris Matthews. Uh, we've got the book Someone We Know by Shari Lapena, uh, The Invisible Life of Adi LaRue by V.E. Schwab, um, Hot to Trot, by M. C. Beaton with W. R. Green and narrated by Penelope Keith, because I did listen to the audio book on that. So, as you can see, five, or as you can hear, I should say, five very different books. Um, now, okay, let's start with the smallest man. Sorry, moving papers about. I know that's very unprofessional, but there we go. It's it's real life. It's what's happening here. I'm not in a lounge suit, but I do have my pieces of paper. So. Um, as you may know, I'm not a big historical fiction fan. There's only been one, maybe two at best, that I have read and enjoyed. Um, I might have read others and suffered them, but there's only a couple that I've read and enjoyed. One was the Warlow experiment going back. Um, so when Francis contacted me to say, you know, what what about a book and I don't mean she did that in a rude way she was very very polite about it and very nice and kind um but my immediate response was well thanks so much but I'm not a big historical fan and actually she was very sort of generous and kind she just quietly unassumingly um said that's absolutely fine see what you think So this book arrived. It's got a gorgeous cover. You've got this uh, embossed gold and uh, these different silhouette pictures. Um, I thought, right, well, let's have a go. So I went in fearing the worst. And wow, I was just captivated by this story. Uh, Drew me in from the first page to the last. Um, I just really enjoyed it. I don't think it means that suddenly I'm a huge fan of historical fiction. I think if I had to say, it's just it's that it's a good book with good characters and well told. Um, Let's read you the blurb. It's 1625 and our hero, Nat Davy is just 10 years old. His childhood has been poor but happy, living in a small village with his parents and his brother. But now the truth is slowly dawning on Nat. He's small, really small, and he's stopped growing. Narrowly escaping life in a freak show, he's plucked from his family and presented as a gift to the new young queen of England, a human pet to add to her menagerie of dogs and monkeys. But when Nat realises she's as lost and lonely as he is, the two misfits begin an unlikely friendship, one that takes him on an unforgettable journey as England slides into the civil war that will tear it apart and ultimately lead the people to kill their king. Well. Wow, that's—I uh, think that tells you everything you need to know. But let's talk to Francis and find out a little bit more about this glorious book. So, Francis, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me. Well, I had to have you on. My goodness, this book is is yeah. extraordinary. I mean, uh, I don't normally like historical books, but but this one captivated me from the very beginning to the very end I just had to keep to keep reading it what I know everyone's going to ask you but
1: what gave you the idea for this glorious book well I found it really by accident so I was researching what well, I was working on a murder mystery set in the also set in the 17th century in the time of the plague and I had this idea I wanted a character with a disability because I felt given the attitudes at that time they'd be slightly on the edge of things and they'd have a slightly different perspective and so I googled around a bit, and I'd vaguely heard of this idea of court dwarfs. So I think I googled seventeenth century plus dwarf, and up popped the Wikipedia entry for Jeffrey Hudson, who's the real life mm. inspiration for Nat Davy. And I just read it, and this guy had the most incredible life. And I got what I now know my agent calls, I didn't have an agent then, but she calls it the tingle. It's almost like a physical feeling of, oh, I've got to do something with this. And I said, I, my the murder mystery was like the third or fourth novel I'd, I'd attempted. And I thought, no, you're going to do the first draft. You're going to get the end of the first draft. But all the way through, I was like, no, I want to go back and do that story. <laughs> and so I did finish the first draft and I did go back. And yeah, it was, I thought, the idea was this, this guy had such an interesting life and I thought, oh, yeah, that would make a great novel. What I didn't really realize was that actually turning real life into a novel is not quite as easy as you might think. Because mm-hmm. you know, novel, a novel needs to have a shape and a direction and real life meanders around, it goes off at tangents. it has absolutely no respect for the need to tie all the endings in the last <laughs> chapter. So I kind of, I did struggle with it and I actually abandoned it. I tried it and then I thought, no, this is just too hard for a first novel, and so I'll do a psychological fi- psychological thriller. Not everyone's <laughs> doing those; they must be easy. And I did one, and it was complete rubbish. And probably two years went by before I went back to this story, but it was in my head all the time. And... You are you are persistent. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you that.
2: So, how much of the story is factual, and how much of it is France's imagination
1: um difficult to give a percentage but it's so obviously the basic historical background is true you know i couldn't i couldn't change who won the civil war or what the king's (laughs) name was so that's all true occasionally um as you know in the beginning there's quite a lot about the difficult marriage that the king and Mm. queen had some of their arguments happened in a different order but they but they all happened um so that's all true then in terms of nat's story Um, Geoffrey Hudson had the most peculiar story, so the beginning is very similar, he is what we think, there's one biography of him, but obviously as a a character on the edge of history it's quite patchy, there's lots of stuff we don't really know, but it seems likely that he was sold by his family, he was given to the Queen as a present, so that's, that's the beginning, that's true, he was actually presented in a pie and then after that I had to think about you know what would he do at court what would his relationship be with the queen and that's from my imagination but what was quite interesting was he was obviously given to her as a kind of human pet in the beginning Mm. but it was very obvious he became more than that even though we don't know really what their relationship was you know he was still with her right through the civil war and he was kind of by her side so I felt must have been more to it than him just being this entertaining little guy capering about so uh, that's where i sort of built their friendship and then some of the adventures that happened to him which obviously i don't really want to give away some some of them happened to jeffrey and some of them didn't some of them i've made up the major thing that's different is um jeffrey um two-thirds through through um where where you would get to in the book he actually was captured by pirates and he was taken to Morocco and we think kept as a slave and I actually I wasn't really sure whether to do that or not because obviously you would be two thirds of the way through a book all the characters you've come to know suddenly disappear and you're in this new place with new characters but everybody said to me oh no that's really interesting you must keep that in So I did it and I had a whole third section where he was in Morocco and a whole new story begins. And then when I actually sold the book, my editor said, I've got quite a big thing to tell you. I don't think that we can keep that third section. And I kind of, I agreed with her, you know, I felt she was right because, you know, for for lots of reasons, although the section worked in itself. But as someone said to me the other day, it was almost a new book within a book. And she said, you know, you really, you need to think about if you, if this wasn't based on a real story, what would yes. you have done with Nat? So basically I had to write a new 30,000 words. Gosh. I had to, I had to research that section of the English civil war, which I'd ignored because I thought Nat was going to be in Morocco and wouldn't need to know. And so, yeah, so it's a whole, it's a whole new um section, but it it, it worked it works. It was it was right. She was right to make me do that, but it was quite scary at the time. So that's the big difference. And also Jeffrey Hudson had a very sad ending, which I didn't want for Nat. So. Yes. Yeah. So yes. yeah, it's a it's a it's a big mixture is the is the answer. And with the research, did you have to do anything on
2: location? Um, you didn't head off to Morocco. I did you thought head you're off writing. to Morocco.
1: No, no, I didn't. Um, the lucky thing now is, you know, with the internet, you can find out. You can literally go there and see it. I mean, obviously, I couldn't see it in the seventeenth century, but you can get an idea of what the heat feels like what a place smells like so yeah I kind of I hardly left the house really for about four years I was just traveling by internet. And at the heart of this book is it's a great
2: story so clearly you're a great storyteller have stories always been important to you?
1: I think they have I mean my dad used to always make up stories and tell us um, when we were kids and he was very good at that he's Irish so he's got that storytelling gift Mm -hmm. And yeah, I've always done it. I mean, I think I wrote, I wrote my first book when I was about must have been about seven, and I um, plagiarised uh, Beatrix Potter and called it called it The Adventures of Squirrel Nutkin, and it was about a squirrel with a girlfriend called Susie and a strange liking for pork chops. Excellent. And I did a whole whole little book about him. But yeah, so I was always trying to do it. But like a lot of people, you know, life got in the way. So. It's taken me quite a long time. I'll be 57 by the time the book comes out. So I suppose you could say I'm a late bloomer.
2: But you're also, um, you've been a journalist, so the-
1: Yeah, and and in a way, people think that helps. You know, people think, because people often said, you know, it must be quite easy for you to write fiction. It really isn't. (laughs) It's so much harder than journalism. And also the other thing you have for, you know, for the past 30 years, I've been sitting in front of a screen coming up with words all day every day so whereas for a lot of people working on their novel that that's their me time that's their Mm. fun and though it is fun for me it still feels like work so you can I think if you if you work with words in another way it can almost get in the way of you doing fiction because you're doing that a little bit in your head anyway and it sort of scratches the itch Mm. but it, it was always there. But does um,
2: the journalism background allow you to write in different places, be able to focus and get on with the deadline or is, is think, it not portable?
1: Yeah, it does help with deadlines. I mean, and it helps with things like, you know, if I had to cut 10,000 words, I can do that. I'm used to to writing a feature in 300 mm. words, so I know how to nibble away at it. I know how to twist a sentence so that it still says the same, but it's 10 words shorter so it's really useful in that way. And the other thing I think it's really useful for, you know, I've done hundreds of interviews, so I'm quite tuned into the way people talk. And I think that helped me a lot with dialogue. Dialogue is the one thing in fiction that I don't find very difficult. And that I, I really love doing that. And I think that is because I've just talked to so many people over the years. But it strikes
2: me that, yes, this is a book for those who love reading historical fiction. But as I say, for for me, I loved it and and I normally can't bear it.
1: Were you you aware of that as you were writing? How did that happen? I kind of was. I mean, I've always read historical fiction, but there's quite a lot of historical fiction that I lose patience with. Mm. You know I like the idea that you are learning as you read,, yes. but I don't want a history book. I don't want it thrown down my throat. I don't want every time a character walks into the room, I have to know what a dress looks like. <laughs> and I certainly don't want people saying gadzooks, my lords, all over the place. I'm just <laughs> not interested in that kind of historical fiction. So yeah, i wa- I really I'm, I was so pleased when you said that you didn't normally read historical fiction because I really hope people that aren't historical fiction fans will pick it up because it's it's not meant to be a history textbook. It's meant to be a book that keeps you turning the pages mm. and hope it does that. So yeah, I tried to, I don't have people, I I didn't try to get people to speak like people spoke in the 17th century, because actually we don't know, mm. you know, we don't have recordings of them. We've got things written down, but you know, throughout history words written down have been more formal than words spoken so we don't really know how people spoke so I tried to get a fairly neutral way of writing so it wasn't you know Gadzook's Prithy My Lords all over the place but hopefully they don't sound like characters from East EastEnders either
2: but no for me at, at its heart it's a it's a character book mm. and, and it's a story about those characters and the fact it's set in in historical times is it's not it's not that it's it's about the, the character yeah. but but even facts like uh, I, I don't know how I'd um overlooked it but small details like these news books instead of newspapers yeah. mm. did you try and and you know introduce as much as you thought would be palatable to readers
1: it was kind of less than that I really tried to introduce only as much as I needed for people to understand what was going on because mm. I, I don't like excess historical detail. I can't stand when you know someone's in a carriage and they say, oh, and she touched the smooth leather of the handle, because she wouldn't be thinking that. Mm. That's, that's the thing you have to remember. It's like quite often in historical novels, people are forever going on about, oh, the streets are really stinky. But if you live in a place where the streets are really stinky, you wouldn't say that, because it's normal for you. So I tried to just give as much background as people needed to make sense of the story, but I didn't want to keep I didn't want to do that thing of, look, I spent an afternoon researching this. So you're going to get it in this scene. I tried to avoid that kind of thing.
2: And how much plotting did you do for this story? Did you have, you know, a large piece oh, of paper? I and, yeah,
1: I did loads. So it went through seven complete drafts. And I think sometimes people think a draft means you change the punctuation a bit or, you know, you move a paragraph. and it, it's a different book from start to finish. And I think I had, so when I, when I started, I had this outline that I'd sort of based on the biography of Geoffrey of Hudson. And I thought, oh yeah, okay. So all I need to do really now is turn this into a book. But then you realize you have things like um, they go through the civil war. Well, that's not very helpful in terms of how I'm <laughs> gonna dramatize that. So yeah, I had a plot at the beginning. Lots of that didn't work. Lots of that got slung out and never made it in. And then I had bits of plot that did make it in and then went out again. And then as I say, I had all this whole third section that went. So my technique that time round which I found wasn't very efficient was I would... So I had this overall plot. Then I would plot a section until I would got so bored with plotting I wanted to throw myself out of the window (laughs) and then I would begin to write until I ran out of plot and then I would plot again but I wouldn't recommend that as a technique (laughs) it did take me a long time what's it like you know having your book published you've gone through all
2: this process and uh, then you finally you see the book and it gets published what
1: well obviously as as we're speaking now I'm not yet not yet yes but 7th of January 7th of January so um I don't know it's weird I mean obviously as for many authors it's a dream come true I mean I do I remember the moment when I knew it was out on submission I didn't even ask my agent who she was sending it to because you you feel like you can't really ask in case you look as though you're throwing your weight around and you're you know you're so grateful that it's just being sent out to people so I didn't even ask and then I remember I was sitting at my desk and there came an email saying first offer in and I was like does that mean what I think it means and so I I emailed Alice my agent and said um does that mean they want to publish my book yes are you serious he said well I would be quite cruel if I was joking about that wouldn't I and so yeah that is amazing and then then you have a very long time when your edits are done you have a lot of stuff that you don't really know happens Mm. so you have a lot of time with the edits and that all happens and then what begins to get quite exciting a few months before is It gets sent out to bloggers and they begin to tweet about it. And then I've got a blog tour coming up, which will be over by the time people hear this. And that's the that's the strange thing. As we speak now, my book's not published, but a lot of people have read it and a lot of people are commenting on it on social media. So it kind of feels like it's out there. And it's so weird. I mean, just yesterday morning, you know, it was Monday and I was a bit like, oh, God, you know, grim old Monday, COVID, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And I went into Twitter and someone said, I was up till three o'clock this morning because I couldn't bear to finish this, to to put down this book. And it's like, that is amazing because that's, you know, I love, like a lot of authors, I love books. My favorite thing is to read. And I think what I wanted to do most of all was to give other people what books have given me. And that's such an amazing feeling when someone says that, Mm -hmm. you know, that they've, they've spent, I don't know, three hours, four hours with your book and they've. Been somewhere else for a while, and that's come out of your head.
2: Yeah. So yeah,
1: it's an amazing feeling.
2: What surprised you the most about the whole process and industry?
1: Oh, Oh, so much, so much. I mean, how important social media is. I mean, I used it a bit before, but not very much. But now you absolutely have to be there, and just the community of book lovers. I think that's something I wasn't really aware of because I tend to think as re- of reading as something personal. You know, I don't read in a room full of people, I read on my own, but there's this whole community of people out there who well, like yourself, who absolutely love books, love talking about books, love recommending books to other people. And that's been such a fantastic discovery because you feel like, oh, I found my tribe. Oh, yes. <laughs> so of course you would expect me to say, what's next? So what's next in terms of the next book? Yeah. So the next book is, I hope, almost finished because I I had, because my book was put off because of lockdown, I've had quite a Mm. lovely big gap to work on book two. So it's another historical. It's set in 18th century London and it's, the main character is called Endurance Proudfoot. Wow. Uh, Yes. (laughs) That's a great name. Yeah. And her name plays quite a big role in the story and she, She wants to be a bone setter. And bone setters were really the a combination of the forerunners of uh, an orthopedic surgeon and an osteopath. So they would do everything from setting bones if you broke your leg to um, putting your shoulder back in if you dislocated it, but also things, you know, people with bad backs, dodgy knees, they would treat them. And you know, we probably think of them as being quacks now, but actually at a time when many people couldn't afford doctors. They did quite important work. And there were a very few female bone setters, but you really need to be quite strong to do it. Quite often it was the blacksmith in a village who would also double up as the bone setter. Oh, so, so my character's father is a bone setter and generally they are it, the skills are passed down. And when he discovers his daughter wants to do it, even though she's quite an unusual girl, he's quite against it, but she is quite an unusual girl and she's not gonna take no for an answer. Wow
2: Wow. well you better
1: hurry up and finish that book because I want to read it immediately. I'm really enjoying it I mean I knew nothing about the 18th century nothing about the Georgians and they are such fun I mean it's interesting you talked about the news books earlier they invented celebrity culture way before Twitter and YouTube and all the rest of it Um, and Endurance's sister in the book is an actress and she becomes a celebrity so there's quite a lot in there about you know newspapers gossiping and so on. And that was all new to me. I didn't realise they had all that. But yeah, they're very like us in surprising ways.
2: Wonderful. Well, in surprising ways, your your book surprised me because I just Good. thought it was extraordinary. It's changed my view on uh historical fiction, and I can't Good. wait to read the next. So, Francis, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you. Well, wasn't that interesting? I thought it was Great to talk to Francis, and yeah, as I say, I can't wait for the for the next one. It's it's definitely a book I'm going to be talking to people about because uh, for me it was so different and uh, and yet really enjoyable. It's definitely one my mother's going to enjoy as well. So I'll have to see what she, what she says. Um, but let's get on other books to talk about. So the next one is another poetry book. Get me being all into poetry at the moment, and this one is as I say called "Tell Me the Truth About Life." Um, A National Poetry Day anthology, 100 Poems That Matter, curated by Keris Matthews. Um, So where's the the blurb? Um, This collection draws on the wisdom of the nation, featuring poems nominated for their insight into truth by a broad spectrum of Britain's most passionate poetry lovers. From astronaut Helen Sharman to sporting heroes and world famous musicians to teachers, artists and politicians. Here you will find poems to revive the spirits, ballads to mobilize, and lifelines to hold you safe in the dark. I, I just, I just adored this book. Um, it's one that's yeah, it's not going anywhere. It's, it's staying with me. It's got um certain conditions. Okay, let let's find a a page for you, um, where I can tell you. So the fight was fixed. So if you're thinking that that's um an area that you're really troubled with, that you want to explore, then you'd go to the section, The Fight Was Fixed, and look up some of the poems. And you've got an introduction to the poet concerned, which I like. I do like a bit of background on a, on, on a poet. And then their particular one. Um, it's It's an interesting book. It differs to the one we talked about last week, which is more about you suffer from an ailment, what poem goes with it, This is more aspirational than that, I would say. And it's maybe even more philosophical. I don't know. It's broken down into seven sections. So there's sage advice, different ways of looking, no punches pulled, ballads to mobilise, nature's solace, uh, mortality in the ticking clock and you have one life, live it. Um, and it's just it's just a nice book. It's good poems. I think that everyone can get stuck into. You don't need to have a, an MA in literature to to enjoy the book. So it's really good. Hardback. Um, lovely, lovely, lovely. We, we thoroughly enjoyed that one. Now, the next one is not a poetry book. This is just a lovely, lovely thriller. Someone We Know by Shari LaPena. Shari, of course, um, appeared on the podcast a few months ago now. Uh, And this is one of her older books, um, but it was there on my bookshelves saying, read me, read me. So I did. And I'm very glad I did. It can be hard keeping secrets in a tight knit neighbourhood. In a tranquil, leafy suburb of ordinary streets, one where everyone is polite and friendly, an anonymous note has been left at some of the houses. I'm so sorry. My son has been getting into people's houses. He's broken into yours. Who is this boy? And what might he have uncovered? As whispers start to circulate, suspicion mounts. And when a missing local woman is found murdered, the tension reaches breaking point. Who killed her? Who knows more than they're telling and how far will all these very nice people go to protect their secrets? Maybe you don't know your neighbours as well as you thought you did. Ah, oh, it's great. I mean, Sherry, I think, is a, an accomplished writer. Um, unlike some authors where I find their books are um, hits, hit and miss. You know, one works really well, the next one doesn't. I think Sherry is very consistent I enjoyed the concept of this. Um, I like the two elements of this boy breaking into houses and this uh, this woman found murdered. Oh, I didn't enjoy the woman being found murdered. You know what I mean? I, I enjoyed the concepts of, of those two elements in the story and how they are interlinked uh, or not and, and how that, that all works out. Um, I thought it's a it's a good book. It's very consistent, great thriller. So if you haven't read it, I think it's um, it's well worth doing. Shari Lapena, someone we know, delivers um, as as I think I haven't read any dud by Shari Lapena. So there we go, dud free. Hey hey ho. Uh, now this one, this next one is an interesting one: The Invisible Life of Adi LaRue uh, by V. E. Schwab. Now, this has been all over social media. Um, It's uh, obviously written by a very well-known author, but it's um, a new book. I don't believe it's going to be part of a series. I think it's a standalone. Um, And it was chosen as part of a book club I belong to. So I didn't choose it of my own free will. Um, But it was still one that probably I would have given into because there had been there's been so much blurb about it. But uh, here, here we go. This is this is the story. France, 1714. A desperate woman makes a desperate deal in the dark, a bargain to live forever, but be remembered by none. So begins the invisible life of Adi LaRue, shadow muse to artists throughout history, forgotten friend, confidant, and lover, slipping away with the morning light. Adi passes through lies, desperate only to leave a trace of herself until the day she walks into a small bookshop in Manhattan and meets Henry, who remembers her. After 300 years, Addie's life is restarting, but the devil never plays fair. As Henry and Addie's lives start to intertwine, they must face the consequences of the decisions they've made and the prices to be paid. The Invisible Life of Adi LaRue is a dazzling adventure across centuries and continents, across history and art, about a young woman learning how far she will go to leave her mark on the world. So this book was chosen. I didn't have a choice. I thought, oh, gosh, I don't know how I'm going to read this. It's quite long, 500, 540 pages. So first of all, I, I got it as the audio book. Tried that. Couldn't bear it. The, the narrator just didn't work for me. So then I got the book, which is beautiful. The most beautiful book with a lovely naked cover underneath. It's gorgeous. Um, so I quite like that. Easily swayed by a nice cover. Um, and I enjoyed it. I would say that for me, it got it was quite long winded at parts. I wanted more pace to it and story. However, it was a, a fantasy book that I could read and enjoy and escape into, which is quite unusual for me. So if you're keen to get into the fantasy fantasy genre, but you're not sure which to start with, what to do, then I would say this. This is a good one to start with. It, it's um, it's not full on fantasy, if that makes sense. I think it's a book for a much wider group of readers than the the pure fans of the fantasy fantasy genre um, there's yeah, it's intriguing. I liked how it worked through. I liked the ending it it just there were times, particularly around the middle and sort of two thirds of the way through where I just felt it was a bit drawn out um but that didn't stop me from reading it and finishing it, and did I enjoy it? Yes, mildly enjoyed it, so. So that was quite exciting. And then the last book I need to talk to you about is one that um, I managed to get a copy of the audio book uh, to review. Um, I don't know if I'd have bought it. Uh, I'll be honest. So MC Beaton, um, sadly, she uh, has died, but she's written a great series or well, great few series, one of which is the Agatha Raisin series. And um, it seems that R.W. Green has worked with her um, during uh, her life. And then is able to carry on with the story. Um, The last few books in this series I didn't enjoy as much and only stuck with because I was loyal to the the brand of Agatha Raisin. And they're sort of British, madcap, um, crime books. Easy to read. um, Nothing too sinister. But they just just went off the boil for for me. Um, Yet this one, Hot Trot... I enjoyed and I enjoyed more than I have done for a while. So it certainly got me back into the Agatha Raisin camp. Um, Here we go with the blurb. Private detective Agatha Raisin immerses herself in the glittering lifestyle of the fabulously wealthy when Sir Charles Fraith is accused of murder and Agatha is named as his accomplice. A high society wedding, a glitzy mass ball and an introduction to the world of international show jumping, where the riders are glamorous, the horses are beautiful and intrigue runs deep, leaves Agatha with a list of suspects as long as a stallion's tail. Sinister evidence then emerges that appears to seal Sir Charles's fate and Agatha. Agatha must uncover the truth before a net of skullduggery closes around him and he loses his ancestral home, his entire estate and his freedom. And if events weren't complicated en- enough, Agatha's ex-husband, James Lacey, is back in Carsley and back in Agatha's heart. Uh, yeah, I did. I enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed it more than recent books. It It was a bit more believable. I use that term loosely, but it was a bit more believable than previous more recent ones in the series um look it's not going to it's not going to fulfill um a member of mensa and it's not going to be somebody that wants to read stephen king um but it it hits the mark if that's the sort of genre that you're wanting sort of easier uh, uplifting cozy fiction that sort of thing um yeah i i liked it and just to have the narration um uh, is just exquisite. Penelope Keith, I just think, is fantastic. She will always be Agatha Raisin for me, which is why I never really got on with a TV series, because for me, um, Penelope Keith is Agatha Raisin. But uh, just just a bit of fun. So I think we've covered quite a lot. We've had The Smallest Man by Francis Quinn. Tell Me the Truth About Life, curated by Keris Matthews. Someone We Know by Shari LaPena. The Invisible Life of uh, Adi La by V.E. Schwab and Hot to Trot by M.C. Beaton with R.W. Green. But now we've got to come onto a book box and uh, that's very exciting for me. So let's get on to that. Right, here we go. So for those of you who have listened to me waffling on for a long time, um, you will know all about book boxes and uh, subscription boxes. But in case you haven't heard, I'll give you a, a quick summary. So if you're into surprises and different bookish treats, you can sign up for um, a book box subscription. So every month you get a box, you don't know what's inside it. There's usually a book and some bookish related things. And the one I often get is is from an organisation called the Book Box Club. Um, they're YA books. They are often fantasy, which I know as I've admitted today. I'm not a fan of but I am a fan of lots of lovely things and that's what you get with this box as well so I'm just very excited about this I think it's the November box so there won't be any spoilers hopefully for you listening now and um when it's sent out you get this tracking number so you can make sure it's on its way and it arrives and it's in this sort of uh, i don't know greeny aquamarine box um and it says prepare to be unashamedly bookish well yes so i'm going to try and describe to you these surprises and joys this month i don't know what's inside shall we open it and have a look okay so i'm opening the box and inside, there's a card, first of all, uh, that says Secret Societies, November 2020. And on the back, it's got spoilers for the different things that's in the box. So I'm not going to look at that now. I'm going to have that as a surprise. So the next thing you get is an envelope with your name on. They have spelt it correctly this time. That's very good. Philippa with one L and two P's. Not much to ask for, but it does seem to be impossible for a lot of people. There we go. Rant over. Um, And in it is an invitation to the clubhouse where you can go. It's in about a month, two months time. Um, We go at a set time and you get to talk to the author, ask some questions and have a sort of book club chat. So you don't have to do it if you don't want to, um, but it's there if you do. And it it all sort of adds to it. And then you've got lots of this sort of shredded paper, the same aquamarine, turquoise, color so if I move that out the next thing we have is the book and the book is always wrapped up in this sort of water effect lovely paper aquamarine again and some different colors and uh, sealed with some lovely silver string so you can hear me opening moving the string I hope you don't mind all these sound effects Um, it's a bit hard to open it silently that's the only problem so there we go oh it's a white book Oh, wow. I had wanted to read this. Oh, well, okay. I'm properly excited now. There we go. One for Sorrow. The Magpie Society, uh, written by Zoe Slug and Amy McCulloch. I did want to read this very much. Yes. Okay. this is the blurb. The screaming was coming from the sea. A figure was standing by the water. The sun had disappeared from horizon, but there was enough ambient light to see by. A body lay on the sand, waves lapping at the soles of her feet. She was on her front, but her head was tilted to one side. Her lips tinged an unnatural blue, pale skin, blue lips, tangled strands of hair, twisted limbs. And on her back, an elaborate tattoo of a magpie. Um, And uh, I just think this is this is great. It's about a student who's been found dead on a beach. It's about what's going on at the school, uh, the relationship of the the different people in the school, the cliques, you know, the ones who are getting top grades, the ones who aren't, all that sort of thing. It just sounded really good. Um, I know who killed Lola and one of you is next. Brilliant. So it's this uh, white hardback book with a magpie on the front and um, some paint that shows this school and it's supposed to be a really good book and I have wanted that one so I'm very excited having just come out and said oh it's all fantasy blah 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 well, I suppose it is fantasy dystopia. It's just it's good YA. So I'm definitely happy to, to read that. Let's move some more of these shredded bits of paper. out. Oh, now, first of all, we have a notebook, ladies and gentlemen, a notebook. And um, it's a, like a, a pale blue ish colour, I would say. And on the front, it says unashamedly bookish. Yes, like that very much. And it's got lines. I do like ni- lines because it helps me to write a bit neater. Um, And that's just lovely, like one of the little moleskin books you you would expect to get. So that's very good. Then we've got um, a badge that you would sort of sew on Hamden College Classics Department. So I presume that relates to the story. And uh, if I like what I read and uh, want to promote the Classics Department, then I guess I could sew that on my outfit. So there we go. Now, what's this? There's something else. There's chocolate. Okay. Right, let's just stop everything and focus on this. There is something that is chocolate in this and it's a chocolate key with sort of gold dust on it as well. Key to the clubhouse, orange flavoured Belgian chocolate key with sugar crunch made by Maple Molly's for the Book Box Club. Oh, my goodness. Now. I could eat that and nobody in the house would need to know that it ever existed. That could be gone. That could be gone before I come out and say, Oh, look what I got in the book box this time. Oh, that does look good. And chocolate orange. You see, you're getting a fruit entitlement if you do that. That's one of your five a day. So you're winning with that. Um, and if you have got any food allergies, it's got all the ingredients on the back as well, if if you need to know that. So that's very good. The next thing is a circle. It's a coaster. Love, love a coaster because people are always putting hot mugs down and not looking what they're putting it on and not being careful of the wood. And I'm always running around with a coaster, so to have another one like this is lovely. And it's a keyhole, and it's looking in to some books, which is great. We are all stardust and stories. I'm going to look at the spoiler card, I feel, at this point because I just don't know exactly what this relates to. So, the starless sea coaster, of course, the starless sea coaster. We've tracked down the magical doorway to the glittering secret society at the heart of the starless sea. This gorgeous portal may look like an ordinary coaster, but it's actually your personal gateway to a world of books, ballrooms and wonder. Now you just need to find the key. Well, I found the key in the chocolate, I think, very much. Very nice. Um, Yes, that's great. And then there is pouch what is this this is the last oh that's very sad it's the last thing just lifting the rest up just to check yeah it's the last thing so it's um it's got the raven on and a book from um, the uh, the magpie society oh it's a pouch but it's got like um a button so you would put it could I put the book in there Let's have a look. I don't understand. I don't understand the secret history patch with artwork. Oh, no, that's not it. Sorry. What am I talking about? We've already talked about that patch, haven't we? Getting very confused in my excitement. Here we are. The Magpie Society book pouch with artwork. Stow away your top secret tones in this exclusive canvas pouch inspired for our featured read. Okay. so what I'm going to do is get the book. Sorry for that noise will the book fit in the pouch that is my question and I can confirm that the book does fit in the pouch <gasps> so I can walk around with a pouch with the same sort of designs relating to what what goes on in the book yes you've got me while eating the chocolate key well actually you know a book can take a while to read that key is that key is, is gone in uh, under a minute I'd like to yeah i think under a minute but anyway i've i've got the um the lovely history patch to remember it by i've got the notebook as well um i just i just love i just love these boxes it's something to look forward to and frankly we need that it's like having christmas every month love it and certainly this time it's a book that i that i really look forward to reading so i can't wait to read that and then review it for you another time so that's the book box club um and i believe if you put in quick five you can get five percent off your first book box subscription i believe that still works Uh, let me know if you have any problems with that i know people have been using it which is great um and yes that's it very exciting so we've spoken to francis we've talked about lots of different books and we've opened the book box i think i need to let you get on with your day and i'll speak to you again very soon take care now bye-bye
1: you've been listening to the quick book reviews podcast that's enough books said no one ever see you again soon